Welcome to the ESG Matters Podcast. My name is Ahmad Gomis, and I'm your host. Today, we have Tony Calandro, founder of Purposeful Strategies. Purposeful Strategies is a value-centric consultancy founded on the principle that businesses can be a force for good and that customers are more loyal to brands that are aligned with their values. Welcome to the podcast, Tony. Thanks for having me. To start off, can you give a bit of background on yourself and the work you do at Purposeful Strategies? Yep. I started my consulting life with Fleischman Hillard about 20 years ago. I live here in St. Louis, and so I was in their global office. And then I went to a subsidiary of theirs, Box Global, where I I ended up chairing their sustainability practice group. And then in 2016, I wanted to go on my own and I founded uh, Purple Strategies. And it's uh, an ESG strategy and ESG communications practice where I've got a mix of Fortune 500 clients and startups. So it's sort of the best of both worlds for me. With startups, you get to see immediate impact. And with Fortune 500 companies, with large companies, you get scale. So enjoy uh, going in and out of both of those worlds. That's great. Thank you for providing that background. I think one thing that's really interesting to myself and to our listeners, we're in the midst to seeing the backlash against uh, sustainability or ESG, or if some have sort of coined the term woke capitalism. Can you give your opinion on why ESG or sustainability is integral to businesses and business outcomes? Yeah, at its core, ESG is a simple framework to assess the non-financial issues that impact a company's business. And the way I look at it and the way I share it with my clients is that it's a way of identifying future risks and opportunities to the business. And I think that publishing this information and making it transparent on the progress that you're making, it gives, if you're a publicly traded company, the investors and other important stakeholders, the knowledge to know that you understand all the different issues that could impact the company and you're planning to address them. So when you think about that, why do you think that there is this backlash? Because I've seen it online, I've seen it in publications like the Wall Street Journal, where it seems like the crux of the argument is that most of this isn't really within the framework of what a business is meant to do, which is to generate profit for shareholders. And you and I, I think, are under the same belief that when you think about sustainability and ESG, we're really thinking about how holistic can you view the company and how it interacts with the community, with the local environment, and be the best steward of resources available for the longevity. But do you think that there's something else happening? Is this maybe like a cultural shift that we're beginning to see when it comes to sustainability? Are people just sort of politicizing something that really isn't political in its nature? Yeah, I think think there's a couple parts to that. But I think first and foremost, sustainability has gone mainstream. That's the good news. The bad news is sustainability has gone mainstream. And I don't think our community was quite ready for the visibility that we now uh, are faced with. And so if you think about it, over the last 20 years that I've been in this arena, just a few statistics to point to the fact that it has gone mainstream. I mean, more than a third of the world's largest publicly traded companies have made a net zero commitment. Uh, You've got nearly 2,500 global companies that have set a science-based target initiative, but it's gone way beyond just businesses. There's over a thousand cities across the globe that report their information to the CDP. So it's gone mainstream. And I think there's a couple of parts to the backlash. One is uh, there's threatened business interests. And so it's almost like if you take a 30,000 foot view of this, it's almost like it's Newton's third law of physics. 
for every action, there's a reaction. So we've been, our community has been very successful, particularly over the last five to seven years in, in driving economic transformation that fossil fuel interests do not like. They're threatened by it. And you see them beginning to push back on it. And then I think the second part of it is political. And whether we like it or not, big business now is becoming part of the culture wars of the Republican Party. And I don't think they do not like diversity. They do not care for equity. They do not care for inclusion. And again, if you take a step back, things like the Dobbs decision that took away abortion rights, their assault on other rights, their assault on communities that they don't agree with, none of this could be taken in isolation. So now they're looking at the business community and they're saying, whoa, wait a minute, what are you doing with all of these diversity, these DNI commitments? You're just a, a tool for the left-wing agenda in Washington, and they're going through you to enact a, an agenda that they can't be successful with in Congress. And so it's being backed by well-moneyed interests, and it's a significant campaign against us that ultimately, I don't think they're going to be successful, but business now has become part of the woke culture uh, and the culture wars. And it's because they just, in my opinion... They do not agree with the things that they're doing to make, for example, a company more inclusive and look more like uh, what they do in the communities where they operate. And to that point, I guess one question I have about that, understanding that this is a lot of this can probably does stem from a larger cultural war and shift that we're seeing, uh, not only in the U.S., but we're seeing sort of this this movement to a more conservative, mm -hmm. more isolationist political regimes throughout the world, right? And... Part of it, I think, is there hasn't been a lot of, at least in the U.S., a lot of real education about what we can do and the value that businesses can bring. And I think some of this is also rightly to the point where there is, there's a lot more opportunities for people who have money to make even more and people who don't to make less, if any. And I think that there's that, that sort of shift is what people are sometimes a little afraid of when they think, when they see these new terms and new ideas is that there's a feeling that they're being left behind. Yep. And ironically, something that is meant to be inclusive, some parts of the population may feel as if that means if someone gains something that they have to inherently lose. And that's not necessarily the case. And actually the statistics don't bear that out at all. But I was wondering when you think about these things and you're having conversations with business leaders, a lot of these business leaders are not necessarily the most left-wing folks that you that you deal with on a regular basis, what are those conversations in-house when you're having these conversations with business leaders about DE&I, about sustainability, and what are they seeing as the value? Because a lot of this is being enacted at the board level, at the C-suite level. So I'm just curious as to sort of, there, there seems to be this bifurcation between leaders in the political world who, who are using this as a cultural war sort of totem, Whereas the folks who are leaders in the business world may do that to a lesser extent, or they may come at a more objective view. So I'm curious about that, those conversations you're having. Yeah. I mean, to take a step back for a second, because it, it touches on everything that you just talked about, you know, there's sort of three interconnected issues that we're all facing today, climate, nature loss, and growing inequality. And it's the growing inequality that is probably you know, the S and ESG, that's probably about 10 years behind 
where environmental is in terms of sophistication and how it gets measured. And it's almost like there's an acknowledgement with the business community, a lot of the people in the business community, that the growing inequality gap needs to be addressed. And as they're making these environmental commitments, there is a question of equity. And so now you're starting to see companies really begin to address these issues. And it really goes back to their, you know, how, how I talk about it is it's a social license to operate, one. Two, younger employees want this. And three, that you know, I talk to them from a business perspective on these issues. It's all about the business. And there are some great studies coming out now that show that a more diverse board, a more diverse C-suite, a more diverse employee base, uh, you're more productive and you're more profitable. And at the end of the day, you want businesses to be successful. And there's no difference in my mind between having a commitment on diversity, equity, and inclusion as it is with the environment. It's all about the business and it has to positively impact the bottom line of a company or they're not going to do it. And if they don't see that, they're not going to do that. So thank you for that. It is helpful to understand that leaders essentially are saying a lot of this makes good business sense objectively and that you need to enact these type of policies, these type of goals, because you need to understand your community in which you're drawing folks from, and you need to be competitive for human capital, because if another company has the same product or service, but they're able to attract top talent that you can't, because you're not meeting with where people want to work and the culture that they want to see, right. that is a big sort of key difference between what's happening politically and what's happening in the business world. So I'm curious, from your standpoint, folks who work in sustainability, ESG, CSR, within the private sector, how can they either bolster what they're doing to respond to some of this backlash, or how can they sort of secure their programs in a way that could stand both legitimate criticism and scrutiny, and maybe not so legitimate, more political scrutiny? Yeah. Great question. One other point on the business case for DEI: large asset management, large investor firms now are starting to look at companies and starting to look at how diverse they are and, and where they're coming. And it's not just because they'd like to see a more diverse workforce, but they look at it as if you've got a diverse group of people sitting around a table talking about your business, you're more likely to innovate in ways to keep your company fresh and one step ahead of the game from a competitive perspective and also demonstrating that you're built for the long term. So they, they're not interested in having white middle-aged guy. You know, they're not interested in having a group of people like me sitting around the table. They want a very diverse group of people coming in with diverse opinions and diverse perspectives. And that allows them and they have confidence in that kind of a company knowing that they're going to innovate in new market areas where they need to be innovating in. But to your question about what can companies do, I think there's two things. Our community has never done a good job talking to average Americans on why what we do and what we believe and what we espouse is better for them and impacts and improves the way they work, live, and play. And you're starting to see these anti-ESG attacks starting to go after average Americans. They're starting to target voters. And you're going to start to see this play out with messages leading up to the 2024 presidential campaign. So if we as a community do not start talking to people on Main Street where they are on these issues, then we're going to lose this battle 
I used to do a lot of campaigns when I was younger, and we had a an old adage in a, in a political campaign: an attack unanswered is attack accepted. And if our opponents are going to uh, this community, if they're going to Main Street and telling them that we're just part of the woke culture, that's not going to be good for all of us. So. To, to me, that's one thing that our community writ large really needs to do. We need to really begin to communicate to people in Main Street why what we're doing is going to improve the way they all work, live, and play. Two, I think for companies, I think it's going to be really important to tie their social impact into business performance. The ability for them, for a company to talk about what they're doing in their communities and how that is specifically impacting in a quantitative way, their bottom line. People want their companies to be successful in their communities. That means continued employment. It means added employment. So if we can begin to talk about the societal impact in very specific and tangible ways on how it's improving business performance, we win. I couldn't agree with you more, especially on the last point, because that is, I think, you know, when we think about ESG, we know the environmental side has a lot of methodologies, a lot of policies, and a lot of roadmaps that people can both go high and low, right? You can understand, generally, I've explained to my people in my life what a net zero goal is, what's a science-based target goal, and what that means. And people generally get it. But on the social side, um, and on the governance side, it's a lot more amorphous, and it's a lot harder to to make that connection for folks. Because a lot of times I think people come in it with their own belief system and their own ideas. And by having that information readily available about how this has helped the bottom line, how you get creative, more interesting ideas, because you're thinking about the same problem in unique, different perspective by people who've been trained, educated, and experience different things that you would never experience, right? That's not saying that, to your point, um, middle-aged white male voices aren't wanted or needed. It's just there needs to be a diversity there. So I think that's part of it where people need to understand this isn't a zero-sum game where it's going to all of a sudden look like a United Colors of Benetton ad when circa 1995. That's not what this is saying, but this is saying that you can't keep moving and operating in the same way that you did since... 1980, right? You have yeah. to change with the times. That's Any right. company that doesn't change dies. And That's right. the companies that change, that reflect the, the social values of the time, that are able to tap into new markets, that are able to uncover different needs that com- that they may have overlooked or didn't know even existed, shows the value of having that diversity, having that both diversity people, but diversity of thought and different backgrounds. Right. So that's, a, I think, one thing that when we think about ESG, especially on the social and governance side, is very, very important. I would also say that we also need to have government, not necessarily regulation, but more so we need to have government to step in and say, well, why aren't you diverse? Well, what's stopping you? What are the reasons that you can't find more diverse employees or members on boards and things of that nature, because companies need to start thinking as to where are they pulling this talent from? Because that's part of the issue, I think, when it comes to diversity is that you keep going to the same 10 places and expecting different results. You're right. And that's just not the case. Or, you know, there's no harm in getting a Harvard MBA. I think, you know, they're great people. I know some people like that who have those. But 
if you get people who've been educated and acculturated in the same way, are you really getting true diversity and true, and true sort of that, that tension that you need to sort of bring forth new ideas and concepts? Yeah. yeah. So then I also was wondering when we think about sort of arming ourselves as ESG professionals for the sort of not the onslaught, but more so the backlash that can occur when we think about when people are starting to say, well, I don't understand this much more from a legitimate standpoint. Are there any ways in which ESG professionals you think should start to look to identify or to filter legitimate questions or concerns or criticisms about ESG from those that may come from a place of polarization and politicalization of ESG? Yeah, it goes back to an earlier point that I made is sustainability has gone mainstream and, and we might not have been as prepared for the level of vis- visibility and success that we've had. And, and there's a couple of things. I mean, every, we all struggle with and we all recognize the need for consistency of data. Uh, you know, capital markets have shown that they want to get more involved in this, but they don't know what kind of data that should be used and standardized. Uh, so there's an apples to apples comparison. And companies struggle with that too. It's coming, but that's a legitimate criticism, I think, of ESG. To your point about we've got the whole environmental arena, there's a far greater degree of maturity of what's measured, uh, what's quantified. And we're just now coming out of uh, COP15 in Montreal, a big nature summit. So, you know, nature's on this conveyor belt to be measured, but how do you quantify your impact on nature? And then a little further behind that is social. So I, I do believe that eventually we'll get to the place with nature and social, or with nature and equity, uh, we'll get to the point where we'll, we'll be able to, in effect, sort of cut and paste what we do in the environmental arena and apply it to nature loss and apply it to inequality. But we're not there yet. But the faster we can get there, the better. When do you think we will get there? The, I think within five years. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think we are at a point where there's going to be a lot of investment from um, the federal government to local state uh, governments to identify best practices and how can you measure and monitor and report. And to your point about data, I know principles of responsible investing, and there's a lot of other organizations out there that are looking to address the same problem of data and data quality and getting the same data across at least specific industries. You know, SASB's doing that. There's a lot of other organizations that are right. really standardize this information, right? I think there is probably a, a very good business case for an organization to come in and to help a company standardize and then tell that story of what the data means in a cohesive manner so that way a company that is looking to deploy capital can understand what's happening as if they would for any anything else on a balance sheet. That's right. And the other thing that could accelerate it or not is the role of government. And I'm certainly not advocating for uh, government intervention on anything, but coming out of the, the climate change conference out of Egypt, you know, everybody can complain about, you know, the lack of progress and it's incremental. It's like, well, getting every country in the world to agree to anything is, is uh, like herding cats. But it, it also reaffirmed that incrementally, there's an incremental march to have some type of a global framework on accountability. Now, governments have the ability to accelerate that by intervening in the marketplace. I don't think you could look for the United States to do anything legislatively uh, anytime soon. 
But certainly Europe is very active in this. The EU is very active in this. And that is one thing that could be a catalyst to accelerate and compress the time frame where we reach Apple Apple comparison on what companies are doing from both an ES and G perspective. Well, Tony, thank you so much for your time on the ESG Matters podcast. I want to end with one question. So if someone wanted to get a hold of you or purposeful strategies, what is the best way that they can reach out to you? The two easiest ways is to either email me or go to my LinkedIn page. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know I learned a lot from our conversation today, Tony, and I'm sure the listeners will as well. Well, thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you.